Welcome back to Dev Dive, episode 24. As always, I'm your host, Nighthawk. Today, my guest is Amin, founder and war chief of science at Mobilytics. Welcome to the show, Amin. It's a pleasure to have you on tonight. Hey, how's it going tonight? Pleasure it's to going be here. Good. It, it's great to have you on. You might be the one of the most distinguished guests we've had so far, so wanted to appreciate it. I don't know about time. that. <laughs> <laughs> I just play video games. <laughs> uh. So so before we get into Mobilytics, because I think that's sort of like the, the meat and potatoes of the show tonight, why don't we talk a little bit more about your pre-Mobilytics uh, career, what you did up until that point? Okay. Well, I was talking to you earlier a little bit. We were talking about uh, overachieving family kind of situations. And I was telling you, grow up as a, I, I come from a Lebanese family, uh, spent half my life in the U.S., half in Lebanon. And uh, I, you know, basically my parents were very uh, strict in school and I had to uh, have the highest grades in the class. But uh, somehow my dad got us a Nintendo at five and I, I was five and I'm the oldest and my other brother was two and we grew up on that and I fell in love and the only he only had two rules. One, um, basically, you uh, <laughs> you get top of the class grades. You can play as much as you want. And two, you have to finish the games I get you, or you can't get a new game. And uh, for those of you who aren't young enough to have played games back in then, the days back then, games were really friggin' hard back then. <laughs> and uh, one of the first games we got happened till this day. I, can't beat it and i didn't have no desire to beat it it's the first ninja turtles game so for anyone who's played that it's just brutal and uh after six months of trying to beat it my dad set up a camcorder and recorded it while he was at work and he came home and he said okay it looks like you guys put a lot of effort i'll get you a new game and we proceeded to beat every single game uh <laughs> after that like in a day or two and so he made a new rule either you finish the game or a month passes, whichever happens last. Later. <laughs> Not first. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Did you play any of those old Nintendo games that used to just uh, kick your butt? I was on the very tail end. I, I'm the youngest, so I have all of the hand-me-downs coming in. So I got the tail yeah. end of the, the NES. Um, uh, so I, I played Mario, played Duck Hunt. Um, yeah. We had a lot of. I, I was born Did you glue the, the gun to the screen and like, try and shoot <laughs> yeah, stuff? Yeah, when and... I was very little, yeah. Yeah, we had this uncle who could shoot it from across the living room, and it was like, <laughs> I, I don't understand why can't I do that? So I just glue it to the screen. Yeah, there, uh, there's a great video on how that actually works. It's it's super fascinating how the light gun, the light gun actually can track that kind of thing. Because when you're when you're a kid, you're like, oh, it's just you plug it in, that's how it goes. But when you grow up, and you're like, Man, oh, I gotta is... look that up now. I'm curious. I'll, I'll link it to you after the show. It, it, I'll give you the basic rundown. Um, so it takes a picture of the screen. And the way that it, uh, the NES presented the game on the screen was it, it there's like a series of dots or something, or there's like a like a tracing yeah. line going down the screen all the time, um, and it finds where that dot is based on your position of the gun, and that's how it like sort of locates where you're aiming. Um, it's very low tech wow. when you actually like get into it, but. I love I love solutions. But that was nineteen eighty four, man. Nineteen eighty five, whatever that was. And it's like, like fuck, yeah. It's, that's it's cool. crazy how how advanced like or how I love I love when, when engineers can take a very simple solution and, and solve a complex problem with it because I think those are like the most elegant solutions. Yeah, I think engineers are defined by their ability to work within constraints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
we have yeah. um i have i i don't have a ton of experience with engineers even though i love i love talking to them but um my my favorite things is when they're happiest when they're they have unlimited resources but they're most efficient when they when they have very limited resources yeah it's true it's like you need those forcing functions right and mm-hmm. kind of like you see us do it to ourselves if we're even if we're not engineers like if you don't set up some kind of boundaries for you'll procrastinate you'll tend to go to infinity you'll tend to you, you know you'll just not but if all of a sudden there's a boundary constraint you feel more focused and you kind of get to it and that's why a lot of people end up in school as crunchers at the end of the day because it's just so much makes more sense right i have this deadline oh oh just wait till it's time but the you know and so (laughs) that's just i'm definitely guilty of that (laughs) yeah i I think everyone is unless you were one of those special kids who did everything you were told and (laughs) the way you were told right uh but um oh yeah that was not oh sorry i was just going to say to get back on on topic about uh old video games that i played um, there was a game called Bible Buffet that I played uh, growing Never up. Never heard of it. And it, it is the most ridiculous, like, it. you think with the name, like, Bible Buffet, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be, like, this religious game or something like that. But it's it's just so random. It's like you play as, as Moses or something, and you go through <laughs> the desert, and then, like, all this food comes down, and you're, like, supposed to catch <laughs> the food. Really? It's very weird. Um, there's a there's a LTR video about it, Lazy Game I'm going to look that up. Holy shit. Um, Bible Buffet? Are you kidding so me? It's so weird. Um, and this, this was when I was, like, maybe four or five years old, so the finer details of the game might have escaped me. But when There's I was like a pizza kid, land and all yeah, these levels, potato it was, land. <laughs> it was so odd. <laughs> Um, <laughs> who made this game? I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there there's people out there who who have fond memories of playing this as a child, but it was just on the cusp of my gaming my gaming interest, and I I really had no idea what was going on, and it it didn't traumatize me, Wisdom but it definitely tree. didn't leave like a great a great experience in my brain. Tucson <laughs> County, Arizona. Wow. Um, that's so yeah. interesting. Wow. Anyway, that's funny. There's a lot wow. of a uh, uh, very weird third party um not not bootleg but just like definitely not nintendo approved games out there yeah for, for the nes yeah um, yeah they had that seal actually if you haven't read it the book about nintendo the history of nintendo I, i'll find you the name it's fascinating they're why they decided to create the seal of quality mm-hmm. all that after the atari crash dump the history of video games is actually super fascinating it's one of my favorite things to read about yeah but yeah. but yeah you know it was just like we love playing those hard games and 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 that's kind of i'll have to say i learned a lot more playing video games in my life than i have doing anything else and that includes like uh you know uh, times rating in games playing competitive anything like that and so i'm really glad uh that they played a strong part in my early education but th- the point is is my parents drove us through school really like and by the time i was 14 i had graduated high school 14 going on 15. wow and at that point, you know, uh, my father asked me, do you want to be a doctor, an engineer? I'm like, I'm 14. I, I don't know, but you have to pick something. And so I said, you know, I'll be I'll be a doctor. I want to help people. And I did uh, in, I went to university and I did biology and I memorized every bone in the body, every muscle and all of that. And I realized I was bored to death and I spent most of my time playing Warcraft three. I lived in Lebanon back then. And so I would spend all day in the cyber cafe playing with my friends and trying to be the best player out there i was successful enough but we'd play these big three on three games and it was really fun and 
and I found that playing team games was a lot of fun and like getting everyone on the same page and, and winning is much more satisfying than just winning alone, right? I, I felt like it was just so cool. And, you know, I would sleep overnight and go up to classes at eight in the morning while I was at the land cafe, just shit like that, that I would use an excuse to tell my dad I was sleeping out of the house. And uh, point is, I decided I went to med school. I, I, I decided it wasn't for me. I dropped out and I did biomedical engineering. I did a PhD in biomedical engineering. I thought it'd be cool. I can mix uh, problem solving. Engineers solve problems and I like solving problems. Most importantly, I thought I could build a gun arm like Barrett or Mega Man or uh, Bionic Command or anything like that. I was like, you know, just for people who've lost an arm, why not replace it with like a gun cannon? <laughs> I thought that would be super cool. Until I took digital signal processing, which completely shot any desire I had to make anything with electric circuits. It just that was not not my cup of tea. And I ended up uh, really doing a PhD in World of Warcraft, if I'm being honest. I was playing WoW when that came out, like 16 hours a day. I would go into the lab at night, do my experiments, send in the results, and everything would be cool with the lab because I'd send in what I had to do. And I didn't have to, it was the most efficient way because I didn't have to talk to people. I didn't have to go to, do, to outside of the one lab meeting. I didn't have to do anything where it involved like small talk or whatever. I could just play WoW. <laughs> <laughs> and I played so much WoW that uh, we eventually got sponsored by Fnatic, um, our, our arena team. And, uh, you know, we did raiding in WoW was amazing. It taught me so much. It was some of the funnest moments in my life. And uh, I would play competitive games on and off a lot during my PhD. You know, if you do a PhD, you have a lot of free time, but you're supposed to be working towards your thesis and your time, right? So if I do jack shit for three months, nobody pays attention except me. So I can do that. And then I can spend three months going hard. Eventually I finished within six years, but I had gone through several games competitively. I had gone through um, uh, WoW, StarCraft II, League of Legends, Dawn of War, and I'd placed top in a lot of those. I was like seventh in beta and League of Legends on the ladder. I hit diamond in the StarCraft II uh, beta. Um, you know, so it's top of the ladder and Dawn of War played well. Oh, so I love playing games competitively. And then I would just like go for a while and then stop cold work, go, you know, kind of that kind of cycle. Right. And it was just, it, games just provided such a nice sandbox to experiment and you didn't need to get funding and all that stuff. But my, my feet, my PhD was actually on uh, human physiology focused on neurophysiology. And so we were like injuring, uh, rats and trying to see how their spinal cord recovered. The whole injuring rats part, I couldn't, I didn't have the stomach for. We had a guy yeah. who did it, but you know, I, I it was fascinating. I spent a lot of time on a microscope, but what I was really interested in was in performance. And uh, I did my postdoc, I focused on human performance physiology and what made people really good, right? And so while I was going to these tournaments and competing, I really wanted to figure out, like, I was so different from my teammates. I was very strategic, very analytical numbers. And I think we had like the best mage. I, I thought he was the best mage in the world at the time on our team. And he didn't do any of that kind of stuff that I did. He was just extremely strong instinct of what to do in the game. But he was very smart when you asked him why afterwards, right? He would explain his logic very clearly, but he would just never, I never saw him like reading numbers or looking or doing any deep, deep research. Like I would go to the people's armory, write down everything, make a plan, analyze. And this guy was just like, he knew what to do. Frostbolt, basically. He, all the other mages were sheeping the crowd control, and he was frostbolting. And I asked him why, and he explained. I was like, "That's really reasonable. I don't know why no one else does that, <laughs> right?" And so, um, and uh, it, it was just, it was a really good time. And 
I started, I, I got burnt out for a while. Like playing 16 hours a day, I did the high warlord grind. I did everything. I was just like, oh my god. I, you know, and and what I realized is I was really passionate about human performance, and I wanted to know what made all these players tick. So I went back and did my postdoc, and I focused specifically on uh, a performance. I got lucky. I found a great mentor. He's like a second father to me today, and I'm very I'm very grateful that he was around to harness my misfitness. Uh, he had a collection of misfits, and I think it was one of the greatest groups I've ever worked with. And uh, basically, we would explore the extremes of human uh, physiology. So we worked with mountain climbers, uh, fighter pilots, um, deep sea divers, um, extreme marathon runners, anything you can think of that's like out of the ordinary. And we worked with this explorer. His name was Mike Horn. This guy like kayaked around the world. He swam the Amazon River. He circumnavigated the Arctic Circle with a sled like behind his back. Like just these insane people with a tremendous amount of mental toughness and for some of them, physical uh, adaptations, right? And so it was just a great time to learn. And a lot of the projects I was doing were focused on Air Force. Now, now before I did that, like when I finished my PhD, I had applied to Riot uh, right when they were just coming out and I wanted a game designer. And I went through the entire interview position. I got asked to analyze a champion that they made, like, uh, like a mock champion, and it had mana burn. I didn't think Bonaburn was bad, but Riot has a strict no Bonaburn policy because it's anti-fun. <laughs> and so we had a discussion about that. I still remember it today in the interview. I didn't get the gig. Um, that's that's it was, incredible uh, to me. Sorry to cut you off, but you, yeah. I think, honestly, if I'm being 100% honest, I think Riot really missed like a massive opportunity there. You seem like you would be such a fantastic like asset to early Riot. Just going back and thinking about like where that company, how that company has gone, like where they've come from and, and where they are now. Um, it just seems like somebody that you with like in the part of the old guard and designing champions and tweaking stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know a ton about champion design. I feel like I like missed that. a huge opportunity because <laughs> if you were part of the old guard, you, you would have had a lot of good stock, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it happens. I actually, Later on, after my postdoc of four years, I interviewed again at Riot, and I went in for a scientist position. I didn't, I did through the whole gamut, and I didn't get that either. And and so, so I I twice went through, and I always wanted to get into the gaming field. Is what I'm saying. I tried to apply to Blizzard, get into Blizzard. I would make mockups, analysis. I would just send them. I was an annoying pest, sending stuff, trying to say, "Hey, please hire me." I don't know. I'll do whatever. You know, I'll figure it out. I'm I'm willing to learn, and I'm eager. And I just couldn't get in. And I was really enjoying my work with the human performance. Like we got to climb Mount Everest. We got to climb Kilimanjaro wow. for work. Yeah, like those were experiences that fundamentally changed my core belief system and the way I viewed the world. It's fascinating how small our own bubble is. And uh, one of the things that I got to work on, probably the most notable project that was under my hood was Air Force Project. And basically back then, I don't know if you've ever heard of the F-22 fighter jet, it basically had, uh, yeah. So they, they grounded the whole fleet back uh, like seven, eight years ago, because there was an incident of hypoxia in Alaska and a plane kind of went down and it's 25 million down the drain. So they're like, okay, let's figure out what's going on here. Let's uh, put in some money. So we would go outfit the pilots with gear, monitor their vitals when they're in the air, do all that stuff and try and figure out like, hey, um, what what's going on? And we realized we don't know enough with these new fighters and their dynamic uh, flight profile. And so we, we got a grant for a bunch of in-lab experiments. And one of them was testing people cognitively, basically play, making them play a video game as they were hooked up. One that we created, a simple box clicking game. They're hooked up to like 
20 different physiologic signals from EEG to ECG, measuring heart, blood, uh, stress levels, uh, oxygen saturation, and we would make them pass out while doing it, like borderline pass out. And safe, totally safe, we tested on ourselves while playing. And we'd monitor their performance metrics and see like what are some trending indicators that can help us understand when someone's starting to degrade. And I was really fascinated, and then I got this idea, let me go out and let me talk to the professional teams and see if anyone's willing for me to monitor their players and try and see how we can improve their performance. Luckily, Steve from Team Liquid, who is a great friend today, was crazy enough to say, hey, come on out here, give it a try. So I packed this $60,000 eye tracker that belonged to the lab. My boss said, cool, go, just as long as you get your work done. Flew out there over the weekend on my dime, slept on their couch, tested their players. Like I was holding this this eye tracker in my lap as a carry-on because I was so scared to lose it. Like I was petrified, right? And I tested their players and I published a couple of videos and that's what led me to like apply to write a second time because there were so many interested people and I just, it didn't work out. And so I really loved what I did, and but I was in Rochester, Minnesota for about 11 years. And it was, I was at the Mayo Clinic up there, a great place to learn and so many smart people at the pinnacle of their field. But I was like, I'm just, I don't want to do medicine anymore. Like I just, I, I want to figure out how to, what I want to do. And I want to get back in the game. And I love what I'm doing with the lab, but I just want to broaden my horizon. So I took like a sabbatical. And I started to do a bunch of different things. Um, uh, one of them was working with an investment firm uh, out of Greece. And the other one was uh, traveling a lot and uh, living nomad. I, you know, I left the house at uh, 18. My parents are from Lebanon. I, I went back, lived with my parents for a bit. But during this uh, cycle, I ran into a pers- uh, my co-founder, who I didn't even know back then, at TwitchCon. We were both at an esports panel. And he basically asked the question, hey, what about Moneyball for esports? I'm like, dude, that's just like analyzing data. Let's not use fancy words. So I pulled him aside and said, hey, we started talking. And I, he said, like, why don't I saw your work? Why don't you just use the data from the game and basically say, okay, hey, um, this is what you need? Because the average player doesn't need that much, right? They need just uh, enough to tell them what they're doing right or wrong. So I, I basically, we, tried it we started like a really started mobilitics he had kind of started it before but he didn't know exactly what he was doing so we hammered out the first concept and started to work on it in my free time it was fun i loved not data and analyzing and trying to figure out and peg play styles and do stuff and and uh we were going to do a kickstarter it wasn't a yeah go ahead Real Sorry. quick, this was how long ago was this? When did Mobile? This was 2015. 2015. So I met him in 2015. Yeah. 2015, the first TwitchCon. And we basically just I was doing it for fun and uh um we met once in Greece and hammered out like a a structure and uh he kind of I I was going on an expedition for work to Kilimanjaro. And he entered us into TechCrunch at the time. I had no idea what TechCrunch was or that he did it. And we we talked about doing a Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, when you go up a, a mountain, you disappear. You go off the radar for two weeks. It's the best part. It's like, like it's, I need to go off the radar for pretty soon probably, but I can't recommend it more than anyone. Just like lose all electronic stuff for two weeks. Don't see an email. Don't see a text message. Not a single Discord or Slack ping. It's just beautiful. It reminds you of like what being a person is. and. Uh, and we, I came down and I saw like 
500 messages from from him and he's like he's a quiet type he barely messages and, and anything and i was so confused so i called him and i said like hey what's going on man he's like dude where have you been i was like i was on a mountain there's no phones there he's like oh okay we got accepted into TechCrunch, and we have to present on stage and you have to fly to san francisco like within a week i said no way dude I have a safari booked. I'm here. I just got down. I want to relax and enjoy. And he's like, dude, this is so important. I'm like, what is TechCrunch? And he told me, like, are you familiar with TechCrunch? Just in case the viewers don't know, um, it's the, it's one of the biggest startup competitions, the biggest in the world, right? I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, whatever. And so I said, okay, I'll uh, get over there. And I went there and like, we, I just, when we just went presented for fun we entered at the he entered at the 11th hour basically like 30 minutes before the deadline and basically he um and we got accepted and then we ended up winning the whole thing like it was it, we had our poster that said coming to a kickstarter near you and we ended up winning the whole thing and then uh you know it was quite the experience and all of a sudden oh, we had money being like hey thrown our way <laughs> and so we have a real company now and we're building and we're creating our product and it's been a roller coaster ride since then and it's been crazy and i've got to meet all these amazing people along the way and uh it's come with its ups and its downs and it's been really really cool that is such a fascinating story and, and to go back um a little bit into it it makes me feel yeah. a lot better about uh being i've also applied to ride a couple times for a few different uh-huh. roles. <laughs> it makes me feel a lot better that that if i wasn't accepted and if you weren't accepted that makes me feel like okay well Maybe they're just very, very selective <laughs> about who they. Who I I don't even know if it's like there's a lot of different factors, right? And I think I've started to learn this as you get into once you have to hire people yourself, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're looking for something specific sometimes for a role, and you have a lot of good candidates that come in. It has nothing to do with you sometimes, and it's just like the factors there. Like this person has the experience we specifically need that fills this hole in our team. And it seems like the better pick for this team, right? Yeah. While this person might be great and might be overall a plus one, but just for what we need right now for the team, it's just not the better bet, right? Like something like that, you know? So it's just, it's just, there's a lot of different things that go on there. I don't, totally. you know. So but definitely you shouldn't feel bad about it for <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. Uh going off on a small tangent right now, applying to jobs, and I'm lucky to be in a job right now where it's fairly stable. Uh, applying jobs is just a very stressful, um, it's a stressful time in your life, especially if you don't have something going for you. Um, a lot of the times you're waiting, you're, you're freaking out about interviews, you're freaking out about how you did on previous interviews, and if you don't have anything else going on, if you're just like playing video games like I did when I before I got my job, um, it can it can psych you out a bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to have more of the insight from the recruiter's point of view because I feel like everyone has that insight coming in as a, as an applicant. Uh, I'd love to hear more about like what what's somebody thinking on the other side of the desk when where where are they coming from? But we can we can talk about that a bit later because um, I don't want to get too far. Off I'm happy that. to talk about it now if we're well, that's if we're here. Topics up, yeah. You know. It's I, I try and be extremely empathetic to the person coming in, right? I think uh I know because I have people close to me who are kind of in the situation you described and I can see how hard it is and it you kind of uh it, it wears on them. Um I think uh 
the thing that you're looking for that I look for the most is passion. How much do you care about our product and what we build and why, why do you want to do it? What's important. Then after that, there's like probably other people, not me who do the technical assessment because I'm more focused on like, are you going to be great with us? Right. And is there a path for you? Can you grow? Right. I think. And then, so there's, it's usually a cumulative decisions. Like this person is passionate and this person is uh, very technical. And this person can launch a program and lead, and this person can do this, right? And you have to pick like which ones are the most important for the. Is if it's a lead position, then obviously they need to to have like good judge. Like you have to be able to see, feel that they can be a lead, not that they just that they think they can. They're ready to be a lead, but you have to feel from the questions you ask, like, can you lead a team? Like basically, like by using different uh, questions, you try and understand like, okay, what would they do in this? How would they lead this team in this position? Like, what have they done in the past that makes them a good leader, right? How do they answer those kind of questions, right? So you're trying to figure out what's the best fit, really. But the most important thing, I think, if you really want to do something and you just keep trying to do that something, uh, it's like one day the luck is going to strike, right? You have to create those opportunities to get yourself lucky, and you just can't feel, like, bummed out because you didn't, right? It's just... You gotta enjoy kind of what it is you're doing in the process, which seems like you know, uh, it's a good habit to have something that you enjoy that builds you up to that place. Like I, I mean, I I skipped a lot of the the parts in my story besides the interview failure. Like I started like two different product companies, and they were just absolute messes, and for for hundreds of reasons. But but I learned so much, right? And I didn't think about it much that day. It's so easy for me to come here and tell you my story from A to B. <laughs> And it looks like a nice line, but really it looked like something like that. And then it ends up and it's, you make it look real nice for the camera, but it's not, it's nothing like that. You just, you don't even know that your story's going here when you're here. I never thought I would start a company. If you told me six years ago, would I start a company with uh, two Ukrainian co friends as co-founders? I didn't even know any Ukrainian people. I didn't even think about starting a company, right? So it's just... You know, you just got to leave yourself open to the possibilities and just apply your full effort in a, in a, in a positive way towards it. That's all. That's some great advice. How, this is, this is probably going to be a question that's like, you can't really answer it quantitatively, but do you know going into an interview after a certain amount of time, do you have like a good feeling about somebody who you're like, oh, I think that guy will be a great fit for a job, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes in? So... I will say that I get an initial impression at the start and I tell myself to shut the fuck up and let that impression alone. And I just try and pay attention to the person because it's a, you, you, we always come into everything with preconceived biases. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. Like the person could be nervous. The person could be not someone who easily opens up. And so it's just important to just listen and be present and give that person the room to express themselves. And you can write down whatever your preconceived thing is on a paper so you leave it behind while you're in the interview and just let it play out and then and then make the decision later. But I think it's so important not to. And sometimes you're right. Your, pre, your preconceived bias is right, right? And it gets better as it can, depending on how you check yourself, you get either better at initial assessments or you get worse and you just snowball your biases. So if you learn to control for your biases, you keep getting like better at checking yourself, right? So I, I think that it's just important not to judge really fast. I think it's very, very important. 
That's awesome. I love to hear, like, I love these perspectives um, because I would never think about this in a million years, just coming in from from the recruitment perspective, from the person who is going in for a job. I guess I have a lot to say about it because the last three months I've spent interviewing and we've been hiring a lot. So it's just been, it's been a lot. Like I've been doing, there was a month where I was doing six interviews a day, the whole month. How big like, is Mobilytics right now How, in terms of employees? So we're at 50 people right now, wow. over 50. Yeah. That's amazing. We went from 30 to over 50 in the last six months and the last uh, five months, three, no, three, to, three to four months. Mostly hiring um, engineers and developers or? Yeah, a lot of engineering hires, a lot of engineering hires, but also like, you know, we hired a few uh, people on our content team. We hired a few people in just different places, game expert team, that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, um, but mostly engineering. <laughs> I feel like engineering. I should have been an engineer. That's what, that's what I think every time I look back. <laughs> seems to be a good field to be in right now. Um, yeah, right now, yeah, software engineering gets <laughs> a good field to be in. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Why don't we take a step back and we talk about some of like the important skills and techniques that you learned when you were back in Biomed? <sighs> well, you know, what what I what I stressed on at the start was I felt like I learned more playing games competitively, mm -hmm. but I think the things I learned doing my PhD and my postdoc is a digging really deep into something like you know for a phd you got to dig really you have to be the number one expert in that little sub niche that you're doing so basically my the title of my thesis was the effect of neuroagulin on phrenic motor neurons in spinal hemisection i forgot the entire title was a long one like that but it's basically the effect of a certain neurotrophic one variant of a neurotrophic factor on the, the certain type of motor neuron that's found in the spinal cord of the rat. So you have to become like a really big expert on that little topic and anything associated with that topic. And you have to learn how to present information in a very clear way to people and to back that up with specific facts and to argue your rationale and your logic and convince people why you have a chance of being right. Right, and learn to take really difficult questions. I think the biggest learning moment that I had during my was when I failed. I'd, I'd always done pretty well in school. So the first time I failed something was like, holy shit, I was blown away. It was a big moment for me. I was very affected by it. Um, I failed my first oral qualification exam. And basically, what an oral qualification exam is, is you come into a room, you've got the committee, and you have to present uh, kind of uh, a topic to them. It wasn't my thesis. It was just like a topic that I've been working on for the last three months. And then they can ask you all sorts of questions and they can go off on all sorts of tangents. And they're not looking for the right answers. What they're looking for is your logic and to see how you deconstruct the argument and how you try and make assumptions. And I grew up in, a, in, in our culture, you're not supposed to say, I don't know. Everyone should know everything. If you go visit like Lebanon, everyone is a PhD in everything. Your uncle wants to tell you how to run a company. Your grandma wants to tell you how to live your life. Everyone wants to tell you everything because they know everything. And so I learned from that meeting, I got so thrown off and I learned to say, I don't know. I learned to handle that kind of pressure. I learned to present my arguments, super valuable. And now whenever we're working in a place, I, I love to, not in a mean way, but I love to tear down people's logic and help them rebuild it. Because I really think that you reach really good solutions when you farm for dissent. Basically look for why you're wrong. Don't, don't look for why you're right, but look for why you're wrong. 
it's so it's I've learned to really like the feeling of being wrong because that means that I can learn a lot more here and that there was someone who is smart who who was able to say hey this is wrong let's do it like this and and to articulate the logic it makes me feel safe right but if everyone is saying hey you're right and it's right I'm, I feel very scared it's like what are we missing what angle are we not seeing here right so so i think like that that's super important well and you're just like yeah yeah something, yeah. maybe that makes up. me paranoid yeah yeah exactly so that's that's the most valuable lesson i learned after that oral committee meeting i had like a paper with all their comments mm -hmm. and i put it on my bathroom mirror and i would see it every morning and it would remind me like of kind of like what my mistakes were until like i had them burned into my brain and it didn't bother me anymore and so then i could take it down and be a normal person again <laughs> that's awesome I wanted to say, um, you are so far a fantastic public speaker. Would you credit that towards uh, your PhD path, or is that something you've learned since then? I think I've always had a big mouth, so <laughs> I think it's kind of been helpful there. But definitely, my PhD and postdoc, I had to present at many conferences mm -hmm. and talk. Uh, so somehow, I ended up being, the, and I think like it's not a ch it's the chicken or egg thing. I don't know, but I always got like after we finished like a big project, like our Everest project was super fascinating for a lot of people. So a lot of public speaking got requested and boss in the lab would always send me to go do it. So I think in one year I talked like at 60 different things. So I got a lot of practice really fast and I learned like not to, to, to whatever, you make a mistake, people are gonna laugh at you, it's, it's okay. I remember my first time I talked in front of 400 people I was like, at the start of every public speaking, whether that's TechCrunch, whether that's whatever, I get like, but as soon as you say that first word, mm -hmm. it's like it goes down into your stomach and gets swollen. That's it. Everything's done. You just go into that flow and you can't, you don't see the world anymore. It's just like you're in the zone, right? But that first time I just narrowed in, I saw my advisor and he was in the audience, my thesis advisor, and he was Dr. Seek and he was sitting there and he was just nodding. And I saw him and I zeroed in on his face and all and out of the 400 people, all I saw was his face just nodding. And I had practiced it. So you have to practice. And I had practiced it so many times it just came out and I was just focused, zeroed in on his face. And I won't ever forget that delights and everything, but, but thank you. I'm glad you think I'm a good public speaker. I think it's just a lot of practice and just, just learning to deal with that uncomfortable feeling at the start and just knowing that it's normal and just, just like i don't know if you queue up for a ranked game in league it's your promotions you get that heartbeat yeah. and you got to just play the game maybe at the start you're cold but as soon as the game starts you can't feel that anymore you just got to be in the zone or you'll never you'll never perform right you'll never it's, get into the zone it's awesome that you bring that up because um i actually get that feeling when i do the podcast and and this is a very very low stakes environment for everyone involved it's not a ton of audience there's never a ton of people coming in and, and heckling you or anything like that. Um, but I still get that little bit of it's, it's, I hesitate to call it stage fright because there's no stage, but mm -hmm. you get that feeling um, or I get that feeling when I come into this. And then, like you said, when you start the show, when you actually get things going, you're like, Oh, it becomes more natural. Things just it's all goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. it's great that you bring that up because I definitely feel like flow that. is a fascinating subject. If you're interested in reading more, there's so many good books about that that I could recommend after the show. One yeah. of my favorites is The Art of Learning. It's about this guy named Josh Whiteskin, I think is I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's hard. Um, and he was a chess champ in the U.S. at the age of 16. 
grandmaster champion they were saying is like the next Bobby Fischer. And he went from that to disappearing from the chess scene to becoming a master Tai Chi martial arts winning a competition. Wow. And just he talks about that state of learning something and, and performing. And it's really, really nice. That's awesome. Um, this is this is like the 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 weirdest tan not the weirdest, but this is like the lowest stakes tangent we can go off of from that. But I just started watching this show on Netflix called uh, Queen's Gambit and something like that, but it it mentions. Um, I heard it's Bobby good. Fisher. Is it good? It's pretty good so far. I'm only five or so episodes in, but I really like the cinematography and the the lead actress. She's she's very good at what she does. So, um, I don't have a ton of interest in chess, honestly. I'm I'm not that type of person, but they make it interesting, and they don't overfocus on the technicals, which I think is important when you're trying to draw, trying to draw in a wide audience um so maybe a lot of the nerds... guys in our company are playing chess they're liking that now yeah it's getting like... popular and, and tsm this... picked up a chess player yeah yeah i saw that it's um yeah shoot i don't even remember his name but i, I did see that um but i feel like there's sort of a chess renaissance happening right now and, and of course this could just be my very small perspective like sort of panning over and seeing chess being popular again but um, I feel like more and more people, it's it's becoming more of a uh, uh, something that people are interested in, young people especially. Um, and I think that's that's amazing that we can live in the world with such complicated games like League of Legends, where, which is literally one of the most po- complicated video games ever. Um, and you have this game that's been around for thousands and thousands of years, still being a, a major drive and a major attraction for for young people. Um, I always Let me ask you a question. Do you think we'll have a game that's around in a thousand years that exists today? I you mean like a video game or like a like a yeah. sport? I don't think so. No, honestly. video game. You don't think, think so? I think that games have evolved so quickly, and I think it's it's absolutely mind-boggling that a game like League of Legends has been around and popular, most popular game in the world for eleven years. I think that's that's really speaks volumes to to Riot's uh, ingenuity and their dedication to keeping the game fresh because if you look at i mean you played league of legends back in beta would you be playing that game that in that form 10 years later probably not maybe the game has changed so much absolutely i mean it's hard to dissociate the different forms but you're right right like it's it's just evolved so nicely over time you know i would i would hesitate to say that in even a hundred years we would have a game that would be unchanged, fundamentally unchanged um, after all that time. I just think that it's not that sort of environment. And and that's the nice thing about video games is they thrive on change, uh, especially these, these more popular online games that we've been patronizing for the past <laughs> 10 years or so. Um, I mean, I would argue that if I had to name a game, it would be Tetris. I could okay, see that yeah. being played two, three hundred years later, right? I, I, could, but, I could agree with you there. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of Tetris. Maybe it's because I didn't really grow up on it. Uh, I just sort of missed it. But I have friends who still play all the new Tetris games that come out that are just still at its core. It's just Tetris. It's um, just Tetris, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what, where, will there be a MOBA in 20 years? That's such an interesting question. I, I don't know. I think riot riot's answer would be yes uh i think if you asked a Fortnite player they would say no i think if you asked a a chess gamer they'd be like i I hate video games (laughs) i just want to play chess Mm. um i don't know 
uh, I hope I hope that there's MOBAs because I enjoy MOBAs, but maybe I'll enjoy something else in, in 20 years if I'm still yeah. gaming. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Very, very, very interesting question. I can ask you this because you were gaming uh, pretty intensely 20 years ago. Do you think that you did you think you were going to play the type of games 20 years ago for 20 more years? Or do you think that you were looking? Oh, to... World of Warcraft is almost 20 years old. <laughs> what are we at? 16 almost, right? A, a long time. Yeah. And it's it's still yeah, at 16. its core. It's still yeah. World of Warcraft. I would say WoW has changed a lot less than something like League of Legends has. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, you know, WoW is still. Like you can go back and play WoW Classic now, and you can see like people do. You know, it's so funny. When I started playing WoW, the guys in our guild were from EverQuest. They said, "Man, this is such a watered down EverQuest. You guys don't even know what it's like to have it hard." And today on retail, we tell people, "Man, you guys should have played WoW when it first came out. That shit was like annoying and grindy and hard, right?" So it's like as we streamline stuff but there's there was something magical about the initial leveling and world of the world of warcraft the the, the journey was the destination back then mm-hmm. and now we're in all these funneled systems and we were talking about this in the company i think destiny is the most amazing example of a job right like a game but it's fun but it's like you know you've got all of these things that you feel like you have control over that you have to do that you fall behind if you don't do and they're all integrating in the right way in the right pieces so that you can be completely engaged but if the gameplay wasn't so tight it would just be a treadmill right mm-hmm. but it's actually a super fun game right but it's they've gotten so good at that stuff i think we've forgotten what it's like to just play a game right like yeah. without any sort of extrinsic value like nobody played super mario world to have the fastest speed run or to be on twitch or to to do something they just played super mario oh and i fell down this hole and oh i found this thing here that's so cool right like you know there was a lot more sense of wonder and exploration and today like even even stronger in the mobile space where games like have like the onboarding is so clear do x it's like you're doing to-do lists it's a a task list yeah yeah, I feel I feel sinister even saying this, but I feel like, especially like you said, in, in some of the mobile instances, we we sort of enter. Um, and I'm going to butcher this this because obviously you're familiar with this sort of thing. Like it's almost like a Skinner box, um, mm-hmm. where it will just be. It feels like it's preying on human psychology, and I hate to accuse anyone, any game developer, of doing it, and, and I won't specifically accuse anybody, but. Um, I've seen this sort of trend, and obviously as a layperson in, in science and stuff like that, I, I'm sure you're cringing at me. But no, um, no, it's it's almost it feels predatory, and I don't like it. It is um, predatory. It's designed and, to be predatory. A lot of these, uh, there's quite a few of them that are designed to be predatory. And I, I nobody I, thinks like EA's FIFA system is for the good of mankind, do they? Yeah, I don't know. I I. I'd like to think that, but I know people who who are very into those things, and they don't have a problem with it. They even they're aware. The worst part is that they're aware of it. They know that it's predatory, and they know that that it's. But the person in the playing in the casinos in Las Vegas doesn't have a problem with it either. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't mean that it's not they're not being taken advantage of, right? Mm-hmm. You it's know, it's a, just it's like a, it. It's a problem. I don't know. Is it my problem to solve? No. Is it a problem? Not mine either. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's frustrating for me, though. Um, 
And that's that's like a very big tangent away from what we were originally talking about. Yeah, it's a difficult. I mean, as we get more and more data and more and more, it's like this is one of the most difficult parts about what we do, right? We genuinely want to help people with our platform to improve, right? The problem is, is that people will tell you, hey, I want to improve. But much like someone who is uh, wants to be more fit, everybody wants to be more fit. Tell them, hey, what you need to do to be more fit is you need to go to the gym. You need to do these five exercises. Can you do that? Uh, 50% say, hey, I ain't doing that, right? Then out of the 50% who do do it, you tell them you have to do this every day for the next month, and then you have to make it part of your life. Most of them will drop out before the month is even over. And you're left with this small subset. That's the same thing with the people playing the games, right? Everybody wants to be challenger and really good. Okay, you focus on farming. Stop telling me to focus on farming. But dude, really, if you farm, you get more gold, you get more items, you win. So just farm. If you hit every creep, you're going to do really good. And it's just, so what we've realized is that we need to use some of these tricks in a in a way to make people feel better about the different things that they have to grind and do to reach their goal, right? And so sometimes it is done for good, but there's always a line and it's very scary, right? You don't want to look into the abyss too deep, right? And so it's just, it also it keeps you up at night. Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in a position where I'm in charge of making that decision because I think that it would be very easy to go from point A to point B when money starts being on the line. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It's At the end of the day, you're also a business, right? Like, and yeah. then gamers choose to pay for specific things, and so you've got to figure out how to how to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a struggle. You want to offer as much value as focus on offering as much value as possible, right? But now people have become used to paying in a specific way. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> that last part of the in-game currency that I don't have so I can buy the whole new $10 in-game, right? So people have become trained to behave in certain ways from free to not free, what they expect to be free, what they not. So, you, so like, you know, we talked about this the other night while playing Destiny, but it's like, it takes teams forever to build something, mm -hmm. but it takes a person a fraction of that time to consume that, right? And so it's like, uh, sometimes it's difficult to understand, like, I think we can go off another tangent here. I've been into the Destiny subreddit for a while uh -huh. since Beyond Light came out and the YouTube video culture, uh, scene. And there is a big uh, movement of like Beyond Light is way too expensive. We're not getting <laughs> the value we got from Taken King. And like they're doing all these comparisons. And on one hand, they're right. But on another hand, it's like, I mean, I guess, what do you what if the cost of making something has gone up what if all these other factors have gone in right and so it's, it's 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 do you not think the actual thing is worth it anymore than i mean you are free to stop playing but like how, how how much do you want to be free and how much do you not want to pay for i think it's really hard to understand those things i don't know what do you think about you've been playing destiny more than i have what do you think about the value of the latest expo this is something that that i've been thinking about a lot recently actually um i've been watching a lot of content about it as well um, and I love the idea that nobody ever thinks about Shadowkeep or, or the previous expansion. Nobody ever thinks like, oh man, that was great value for $40. They always want to compare Beyond Light to a previous one and they're like, oh man, this is so much less than what I got for $40 back then. Yeah. But what if, what if instead of you're getting less for the same amount, maybe before you just got more for a lower amount of money? Like, 
like who's to say that forty dollars wasn't reasonable for maybe it should have been sixty dollars, maybe it should have been whatever. Um and that's when you start encountering all these weird issues with monetization in these live service games. Because like is it based on the cost of what it takes to produce? Is it based on what you know people are going to pay? Is it based on uh how to fund future projects for your company, how to fund uh, more popular things versus least popular things. Uh, for me, I originally when I first purchased Beyond Light, I was a little curious because it felt like they were charging more, like you said, for a less amount of content. Uh, that's what people thought. But playing the game and, and, and experiencing it, I don't feel like I was overcharged for a less amount of content. I'm a little bummed that they removed things. I'm a little bummed that we lost um, uh, the last three years or so of content uh from the destiny world but i don't think i don't blame the the price point for that i just it's just one of those things that you experience when you're playing it Does it's that so interesting I hope, right i hope that was clear yeah no it made perfect sense it's a really good way of looking at it and i think that the other thing that we forget about is we always see everything through our own lens and then and then the people who are making the game are like what about the person who's just starting now there's, mm-hmm. It's so overwhelming to have all of these things to do. So how do we bring them into it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's probably where, like, I think probably I, I've read a couple of things. Probably the sunsetting could have been done better, but man, it's really hard to make decisions when you don't know what's going to happen. And it's very easy to do a retrospective and say, "Hey, we fucked up all these things," right? So it's always easier when you're not making something, right? And it's yeah. it's and it's great. All the co- criticism helps uh, comes from a place of passion and helps to make something better we see that i can't tell you how many times we see that with our own product right and we mm-hmm. really appreciate it and we say okay please bring it on right but i've i've learned to feel less and less bad about it at the beginning i would be mortified and stay up all night and i'd get sick reading some of the harsher criticism and now it's just like well that's a good point or well i know why we can't do that right now okay and so i can i, I can be okay with it right yeah and I think um, it's great how you you explained about like the new player perspective coming in because I was actually watching a video from Dado Does Destiny who has been a content creator for Destiny forever. Yeah, I know Dado. Yeah, uh, and he was he was talking about the new new player experience in this video and he said this is a great experience for new players. They're really going to come in and uh, know what's going on and and it's great for people who don't really have friends who play Destiny who can't explain what's happening. Um, but I actually have a friend who started playing Destiny with Beyond Light. Um, and like after a couple hours, uh, he messaged me, he's like, what the heck am I supposed to do? I have no idea what's going on. Um, I'm stuck in this little thing. So I'm like, okay, stream your game. I'll see what's going on. I'll explain, I'll explain where you're supposed to go next. And he was just like stuck in the corner of the Cosmodrome, just shooting things. Cause he didn't really see the, the little diamond showing where he's supposed to go next. So I thought that was yeah, so... I, have, I got two or three people into it and they're like, <laughs> ah, I'm a little lost. I'm like, oh man, it's, it's so easy for us to see our own perspective and yeah. bias it's it's amazing and right. it, it was hilarious to me that data could go in and be like oh the new player experience is great because obviously he's been playing the game for eight years now or however long um so he knows yeah. it like the back of his hand he couldn't he couldn't even begin to see the issues with the game because obviously it's not his fault i mean i couldn't see them either but um getting that new player perspective is, is always valuable uh, and i'm sure Bungie, uh brought in a lot of people to play test for for the new player experience so i don't know if they just didn't hit the mark or maybe my friend's just exceptionally uh bad at video games <laughs> <But> <laughs> you never know yeah um no yeah, it's, it's, it's so important 
it's hard to get good perspectives a lot. And it's also, I think it's, it's become increasingly hard for developers to articulate their logic and decision-making because mm -hmm. it becomes like kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And so the risk reward curve is, starts to get really difficult for them. And I've seen a lot of companies like do less and less, right? And that's my impression anyway. It feels like that's what always happens. And 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 the and the places where people are giving the feedback, sometimes it's more more like uh, retaliation, and it's good feedback if they take it that way. But it's it's like it usually it's the louder people, the angrier people who speak up the most, and they're coming from a place of passion too, which is really important. But it becomes really hard to say something that that feels. Uh, 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 meaningful, right? And 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 I think there are some people who do it really well, and they continue to do it really well. But I can understand why sometimes it's extremely stressful because it, I mean, it, it's got to feel bad when you spent like the last year crunching something and working hard, and someone says like, "This is shit," yeah. right? Like you know, it's just it's just hard. And so I think there's important to see both perspectives of of the story, especially coming in from this year uh which i assume is where most of the development of beyond light came in because the transition from being in an office environment to being working from home which most companies had to deal with um i know you said before the show i think it was on our initial call uh mobilytics has always been sort of like this remote structured mm -hmm. company so obviously yeah. you had you had a great transition into this world because there wasn't really much of a transition but a lot of these um games companies especially they had to go from people going into an office and, and working together and working in this environment to all of a sudden being cut off entirely from that. And we've talked at length because, of course, we've been in this situation for eight months now or something like that. Um, and it, it not everyone can do it. Not everyone knows how to, how to transition at least at 100% efficiency. Um, so that's also something you have to take into account when you're looking at uh, any products that are coming out in this time space. And of course that's, is that the consumer's fault or is that consumer's problem? No, but is it something that they should ignore? I don't know. Um, it's, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's hard. It's difficult because yeah. you don't want to be like, you don't want to let your expectations slide and, and just have like a, an inferior product be acceptable because obviously you want your game to mm -hmm. be the best that it can be. But you also have to be realistic with how, the workflow is actually changing and i don't know mm -hmm. not not something that uh the average gamer is going to even think spend a second it's not, it's not his job to think about it's not yeah, he just wants yeah. to play a good or she just wants to play a great game and that's it yeah you know and that's their right right yeah it's it's weird um and that's like that's sort of the i don't want to ever be the person who be like criticism this all this harsh criticism is is undeserved because they're, they're dealing with this this and this and i feel like if you start taking that route you'll just become um to use reddit's term an apologist for that company you'll just be uh excusing every mistake and, and everything um but i also i also feel like people go way too far and i'm sure you've experienced this and you've seen this uh for every game out there for for league of legends for destiny where people will just um like they'll say, like this is the worst. This 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 is the worst year in Destiny so far. To use in a specific example, um, this is the 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 least content we've gotten for our money. Um, and I'm I'm like you said, 
you it's always your choice. You can stop playing this. It's not you're not required to keep playing it. Um, I don't know. It's it's difficult. Is it is it their choice? Is it should they stop playing because they they don't like it anymore? Probably, but I don't know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you have to realize when it is your choice and when it isn't, <laughs> right? And if something is bringing you like. I remember after I did the High Warlord grind, I had to step back and understand what the hell, you know, like I'm burnt out. Why am I doing this 16? And then I felt like I was falling off a treadmill, like I was falling behind. I started to learn like, okay, whenever I get that feeling, it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. And so I've done that for every game and I'll just, I'll just stop. And I don't, I don't, I try to disconnect myself from the rewards. Like if the reward is going to allow me to do higher tier content that I want to do, then I have to get it. And do I have the time to commit to that? If I don't, then I cannot do the higher tier content, so I should stop playing if that's what brings me joy from this game. And so somehow someone has to come to terms with what is okay for them and what is not, and they need Mm -hmm. to draw that line for themselves. And if you don't, then you will find yourself constantly a slave of your impulses rather than and the game's uh, uh, systems rather than your own joy, right? So... I mean, if you're having fun, then don't even think. Just have fun. <laughs> if you're not, then you need to start to understand what can I be doing that's more fun for me. Yeah, and that's an exercise in self-control that I feel like people have just lost the the ability to do that. Where it's like, if you're not enjoying this video game anymore, stop playing it. Um, to use League as an example again, there's so many people who I see, even in my friend groups, who are like, I really hate this game. I really hate the that I, yeah. I am addicted to league of legends and i'm like well it's if if it is an addiction and i don't want to get into the the scientific and philosophical um part of that because i'm not qualified to talk about it at all but if it is an addiction isn't it your responsibility to to wean yourself off and to cut yourself off and and stop this negative aspect of your your life or to ask for help right like even you don't have to do it yourself right just say hey like i hate league i can't stop and do you know anyone who that's happened with and can they help me you know Mm -hmm. like i think there's plenty of us who have that story we've all gone through it right when we're don't want to play a game anymore but we feel like we're compelled to play and then one day we manage to make that jump and 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 figure out that these are things that are more important to me right everyone does that and you hear it all the time and uh, I, I've interviewed so many engineers in the last three months, and they always, since we interview a lot of people from the CIS regions, they play a lot of Dota there. And they all tell me, man, I played a lot of Dota. I could have used your tool for Dota, but I stopped because I, I wanted to become a good engineer, right? But I've heard that story at least 30 times in the interviews I've done, right? And, and, and so it's like they decided that this was more important to them, right? And so everyone needs to make that kind of a decision somewhere where it's like, this is what I think is more fun for me. And since I can't relax while playing Dota, it's just not in me, I'm too competitive, then I've got, like I had a rule for myself, I stopped playing games after 10 o'clock at night, competitive games. I'll gladly play Destiny or something where it's PvE, so I, I don't have to think about why I lost to someone, right? And sometimes even Destiny, I can feel bad, like if I failed a objective or something like that. But it's not as bad as like League, I lost. It's hard to go to bed on a loss. It's just so hard. Unless you're one of those rare people who's like, oh, I don't care about my rank. Oh, I don't care about losing. Right? There are people who can do that, and I'm I'm just not one of them. And so I had to draw that line for myself. 
Yeah, the people I game with, um, I've definitely become way less competitive at League over the last year, and I think that has corresponded with uh, my professional growth at my job, where I'm like, okay, I'm spending time actually working and, and, and growing as a as a person, and less time working and growing on my League of Legends. But I still see that that bit of my brain, that little bit of animal bit of my brain, even in Aram, even in Arams, which are statistically the least competitive game mode you can play in League of Legends, maybe other than uh, casual TFT. Um, and we'll we'll be on these streaks where we've lost three Aram games in a row, and it's like 1 a.m., and we're like, one more, just one more. We just need to end on a win. <laughs> Losing it, feels bad no matter does. what, man. It's, yeah. just, it's just, nobody likes to lose. Everybody likes to win, you know? That's why, like, something with, like, a repetitive grind is really nice. Like, it's so, mm-hmm. expect, you know, like, that's why I like like PvE is relaxing to me. It's like you know this is gonna happen. Sometimes something out of the ordinary will happen. That's okay. You put something at a relatively medium di- difficulty level. You can just grind it through, and by that time you're done, you're tired, you're relaxed. Your brain is churning stuff in the background or nothing at all, right? And that's th- that's what works for me. That's kind of like my sleeping pill. And sometimes yeah. you can't have that. Yeah, you need something different. Right? It's sort of um, like our culture's. Um knitting or, or reading a reading a book before bed or something like that it, it's it's yeah for those types of games at least um i, I still read a book before bed <laughs> <laughs> i it listen helps. to books I, i'm i'm totally anti-text okay i find that i can I imagine things much more vividly when i read really it just goes I've... faster yeah i create a world as i'm reading i used to love reading as a kid i would read um all the time before bed and stuff but uh, I always liked, I didn't listen to audiobooks growing up, but I listened to like audio adventures, like, like stories and stuff like that. Almost like the war or the war of the worlds and, um, mm. the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy audio play. Uh, I listened to those a lot and something clicked, I guess it was in high school or something where I just stopped reading and I just started, kept listening. Um, and now I just exclusively listen to things. Uh, maybe it's just cause I read so much on the computer that it's, it's hard to, mm go from there and just be like okay i want to go and sit in bed and read a book for the next hour but yeah, yeah i don't know yeah. okay <laughs> that was a great section but um why don't we try to get a little bit back on track and we talk about mobilytics um so we talked a little bit already talked about how mobilytics got started what was the original product like compared to what it is today what was the first thing that mobilytics was The GPI circle, <laughs> and here's your skills, and here's the advice on specific skills if you were above or below a certain threshold. And that was the whole product. That was it. And today we have match history, pre-game, post-game, overlay, four different games. So we've come a long way. Comparison, progress analysis. We've we have too many features to be honest. So. <laughs> It's definitely evolved a lot over time. And ironically enough, we're going back right now to revisit our GPI for the third time since its inception and improve and so iterate. It's constant lay, iteration. For the layperson, what is what is GPI? Gold? Oh, it's our gamer performance index. Gamer it's basically performance. In, it's a way that we've taken all your data, we've analyzed it, and, and put it into eight uh, uh, major categories that have subcategories, all of them to help you identify strengths and weaknesses so we can give you better insights. So basically, if you're playing League, we look at your farming, your vision, your objectives, consistency, your versatility, your fighting, 
your aggression and your survivability, right? And we try and say, okay, like within your farming, your early game farming is good, but your late game farming is shit. And so here's how we look at all of those and combine those factors to figure out how good you are. Okay, so what were the biggest challenges that you and your team faced when going from the original product, like the BPI, to what you have now? Like, where was the where was the struggles from in the past five years? Lots of struggles. One of them was one of the things we talked about, like learning that it's not everybody wants to improve, right? even though they think they do, it's like, and so learning not to be harsh with advice, learning to pull people through that. Um, let me rephrase that. Not learning that not everyone wants to put the effort to improve, but everybody wants to win now, right? And so designing stuff so it's easier for people to have a better quality experience, regardless of how much time they want to invest and their skill level, right? And so just learning things that, like we released our first post game, and it had advice for people after every match. And most of the time, people were making the same mistakes in their matches. And it turned out to be too generic. It's like either they were dying too much, they weren't farming enough, they weren't placing enough awards. Most of the time, your losses can be attributed to one or more of those things. And so it's like, okay, I know, but like, what specifically, which moment? And it's like, well, that's kind of hard because it requires a lot more data analysis and we're not there yet. So we ended up scrapping that entire thing and redoing. We've redone a lot of our features several times. I think uh, learning to focus on the value we're offering and to be cognizant, but not heavily influenced by what's going on in our market as well, like by our competitors, because we believe fundamentally that the biggest source of information is the player themselves. And we always have things we can be adding to them. And so our our job is never done. I love that. I love that you mentioned um, like the post-game information or the post-game advice, because it reminds me of um, when people will, donate to like a streamer and they'll be like, Hey, here's my OP.gg. Um, what, what should I do like to improve this? Uh, and like 99% of the time, the advice is, um, stop dying as much or, or farm better mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And, and people yeah. can't take that advice, uh, very well. Cause it's just, it's just like be better at the game. Um, yeah. And okay. we have like specific things in inside the game. Um, and it's, it's like, at the, you know, how many times people come to our site and say, can you check this score? I don't think it's right. <laughs> I don't think my farming is a five out of a hundred. And you say, okay, I'll check it for you. And we come back and we're like, dude, you have a CS at 10 of 30. You know that the right thing to have at 10, like the ideal thing, you should be getting a hundred, right? <laughs> you know that, right? And so getting 30 is you almost don't have to play. To, so it's just like people have this. You've, are you familiar with Dunning-Kruger syndrome? No, I'm not. Okay. This is a good one. It's uh, when you take a person playing in a group or doing any activity in a group or saying anything about themselves relative to a group, they always over-evaluate their skill level, right? So I'm doing everything really well and everyone else is doing everything poorly. <laughs> right so a lot of people who play team games in our day and age have dunning kruger syndrome where it's like it's not my fault i'm doing this i'm really good i'm actually i'm actually diamond but everyone in my game is gold and they keep weighing me down so i can't get out of gold right like people actually have this belief a lot of people believe that right it's my teammates mm-hmm. and despite tons of 
bronze to challenger streams and all this stuff that you see out there, people really, you know, it's the existence of ELO hell, right? But it, it actually doesn't exist. You're, if you've been playing for a long time, your MMR is probably where you need to be. You're right. And the reason, and you're going to probably win half of your games and lose half of your games till you get better. And when you get better, you'll start to win a little more than half. But if you're much better than where you are, you win much more than half, like 10% more, like a flat 10%. Mm -hmm. And that's why you'll climb very fast. But if you're slightly better, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. And if you're not better, you probably might luckily go up to go uh, to silver one, then drop back down to silver three. Your peak is not where you are. Your average over a long period of a time is. And if you're constantly improving, then your average keeps going up like that. But if you're not, it looks something like this. Yeah. Right. And most people just can't understand that concept. Yeah. All right, guys, I hate to do this. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface with, with you, and I'd love to maybe come back and revisit this um, whenever you're free again. But I know we've already gone longer than your, your allotted time. Uh, you're a busy guy, so we're going to have to wind things down now um, earlier than, than I'd like to. But, I mean, that's the world I promised my girlfriend I'd eat dinner with her at 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing you don't want to... <laughs> you can't break that one. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I just wanted to thank you again. It was, it was such a great talk. And I think, I think we have so much more that we can come back and do again. So if you have some more time yeah. sometime, we'll, we'll try to schedule something in the future. Um, but... I would love to, I greatly enjoy talking to you and um, I'm happy to, I don't know if there's any, you said there was a Q and a, but I can spend a few extra yeah, we'll, minutes. We'll take a few just... minutes after the show and we'll, uh, yeah. we'll see if anyone has any questions. Yeah. But as of right yeah, now, sure. um, Thank you again for coming on the show. I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on, even if it was just for an hour and a half. Um, and like I said, we would love to have you on in the future. Uh, if you, for some reason, don't know who Amin is or you don't know what Mobilytics is, check out uh, both their Twitters. Uh, I think the Mobilytics one is at Mobilytics HQ. Don't check my Twitter. I don't, don't use it. <laughs> he doesn't use it very much, but I'm still following him. He's a great, he's a great profile okay. picture. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um and i'm gonna try to use mobilytics more i don't i have never really been one for third-party tools but I'll, I'll check it out and i'll see if it can help me uh go from from high gold to to low platinum and we'll see <laughs> that's but, awesome um, yeah if you love uh if you love the stream if you love dev dive you can check us out on twitch.tv slash nighthawk 20,000 every wednesday if you can't catch it live and you want to watch the video you can always check out our youtube channel youtube.com slash nighthawk20000 I'll be uploading the videos pretty much right after the show so you can catch it that night um, and if you can't watch live or on YouTube you can always listen on Spotify, iTunes Google Podcasts and more uh, give us a follow and a rating on these platforms if you want it helps the show out and it helps in discoverability and as always I really appreciate everyone who comes out and listens uh, whether it is live or at their own time uh, I really appreciate you guys and, and if you want to uh, talk to me I'm always in my discord discord.gg slash Nighthawk. Uh, I'm always happy to talk to listeners about um, pretty much anything. So give us a, give us a like, a follow, whatever you want to do. And I really appreciate it. You guys have an excellent evening. Thanks for having me.